Well, good morning. Welcome to worship. And I don't say that lightly, because why do we worship? Why are we here? It's because our God reigns. That's why we're here. That's why we worship. Our Creator, our Savior, is still alive. And He's, he's busy. So, yesterday... My day didn't quite go like I intended it to, but it was fine, and it was fun. So we, you've got a field there that it had been ripped last fall, and it is rough. So the fertilizer company said, we're not spreading on it until it's worked one time. So some of you that have a farm, you've got these big tractors. You can go across plowed or ripped ground, and it's no big deal, but it's a big deal for me to cross that. I mean, going across that field... I mean, this, this tractor should have had horns and four legs and weighed about the same. You know, I felt like I was riding a bull. It was pretty brutal. So if there was a rodeo here in town, I think I'd do pretty well right now. But I was cruising through there, and I got this feeling I needed to stop and check my phone, and that was a mistake. Kedron, you know. Kedron says, hey, you want to open for me tomorrow? And so it's like, sure, why not? You know, I don't have anything else to do. Might as well. So, yeah, I did. And so I started going again. And I said, well, Lord, I committed to something here, and I really don't have a lot to say. What you got for me? And God's got a sense of humor, and immediately he responded with one word, communication. I was like, seriously? This is huge. Communication, I mean, I'm, I'm like the worst at it. So... I thought about it for a while, and of course, thoughts aren't really coming together, because if you're not good at something, you don't really know what to say, and so I text Kittern back, and I said, well, you got anything in mind? He said, yeah, if you want to. How about Acts 16, 25 to 40? Oh, well, sweet, there's something to start with. So a little while later, Colin came out there, and he took my spot, and I was able to go see what Acts 16, 25 to 40 was, so let's just read that real quick. And I'm going to go through the New Living Translation, I think it is. I just like the way it reads. I read King James Version, and, and frankly, I just like this one better for this passage. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Wait a second. So the first nine words, all of a sudden, communication's already here. So, around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly there was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundation. All the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open, and he assumed all the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, Stop! Don't kill yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for the lights, called for lights, Apparently there were no switches, and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas and brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. Then he and everyone in the household were immediately baptized. He brought them into his house and set a meal before them, and he and his 
he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. The next morning, the city officials sent the police to tell the jailer, let those men go. So the jailer told Paul, the city officials have said, you and Silas are free to leave, go in peace. But Paul replied, they have publicly, publicly beaten us without a trial, put us in prison, and we are Roman citizens. So now they want us to leave secretly? Certainly not. Let them come themselves and release us. When the police reported this, the city, of the, the city officials were alarmed to learn that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. So they came to the jail and apologized to them. Then they brought them out and begged them to leave the city. When Paul and Silas left the prison, they returned to the home of Lydia, where they had met with the believers and encouraged them once more. Then they left town. So last night I tried putting down some notes on some paper and that didn't go well. And this morning I tried again and still nothing. So we're kind of winging it here. But I, I've got some questions about this. So, you know, the very you know, first part there in 25, it says around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns. And the other prisoners were listening. So it's like, okay, these guys are in prison. Why are they in, are in prison? I don't know. Why are they singing and praising God at midnight? There's something going on because last I checked, I typically don't sing and praise God at midnight. So these guys are struggling with something, obviously. The few verses before that, uh, 22, a mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. So they were obviously dealing with pain at midnight. Uh, before that, the city's in an uproar because of, the, because of these Jews. So before that, what's going on with this whole thing? So back in 16, I'm going to start reading there. One day as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a demon-possessed slave girl. She was a fortune teller who earned a lot of money for her master. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, and they have come to tell you how to be saved. Even this demon-possessed girl knew that these guys were telling um, that Paul and Silas were sharing, were communicating God's love and God's, yeah, just God to the people. This next verse kind of actually humored me. This went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her. Now, I want to bring something out right here. So if there's somebody following you, what is, and, and they're being annoying. They're just driving you nuts. And some of you children could maybe relate to that. Some of us adults certainly can. There's somebody following you around being super annoying day after day. Are you going to turn to that person and, and speak to the demon inside them? Or are you going to speak to them? What's your response going to be? What's your communication to that person going to be? For me, it's probably not to go to the depth. It's to go to the person and just get on out of here. Kind of tired of you. Beat it. Get lost. Paul saw through that. He realized that it's not the person but it's what's inside the person. So that's kind of a little side note there, but at the same time, I think it's very important how we communicate with others should not be surface. It should be where it's coming from, if that makes sense. So to go on here, we still don't know why they're in prison exactly. 
Um, so the demon left because Paul said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and instantly it left her. So her, this girl's master's hopes of wealth were now shattered. So they grabbed Paul. So by doing this, this girl's masters, she was a slave. This girl's masters now lost their income. This got them pretty ticked off, as would we if we lost our job because somebody came into town. And they started to false accuse, basically. And so Paul and Silas are dragged to the, the market. And the reason they were told that they were going to be put in prison is because they're teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. So Paul and Silas were communicating God's love, truth. And now they're getting false accused in front of a bunch of people and they're dragged off to prison. And I guess where I'm going with this is it's real easy for us to, if we were in this position, in Paul and Silas's position, it's easy to get real down and out about life. Like Rod said this morning, you know, our hopes are, they just kind of bounce around. You, you, if, if you hope in the next thing that you're told and it doesn't come true, then you got to hope in something else. But what we're seeing here is that Paul and Silas, their hope was in Christ and Christ alone. And it didn't matter what all was going on because at midnight, even after getting beaten by rods, and not being able to sleep, and they were thrown in the inner dungeon. I mean, can it get much worse than that? Aside from being killed? What? Then you wouldn't know it, I guess, so maybe that would be better. I don't know. But these guys are going through something that is unbearable. So they're beat with these rods and thrown into the stocks in the middle of the jail, which is like the inner jail, because they were told that they had to, you know, the jailer had to keep these guys they continued in the middle of the worst case scenario to praise God and to lift up the name of Jesus to the point that the jailer, this hardened, calloused individual, I'm assuming because it seems like that's just what I have pictured, probably a big guy that was able to handle most anybody that came along, gave his life to the Lord. Because of the communication of Paul and Silas, because of their joy for the Lord, because it didn't matter what situation they were in, they were all in for the Lord, and it didn't matter what happened to them. I don't know, that just kind of spoke to me that in the middle of the darkest of the dark, God is still there, still working, and still willing to, to give us the perspective of Him and to see a bigger work that's happening besides what we see ourselves in right now. So I guess that's really all I have right now. Um, Keegan, could you pray for us this morning? And is there any prayer requests? Of great power. His understanding is infinite. I want us to keep that in mind today as we go through this worship service. Um, that the understanding of our Lord God is infinite. There is no beginning to what he understands, and there is no end to what he understands. I titled my message today, or the message that the Lord gave me 
the mind of God. So that's why I start off with that verse out of Psalms. And I want to read some verses and think about this out of Philippians. But before we get there, let's think about why the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Philippians. This is why I had Ryan read those verses. Um, and thank you, Ryan, for talking about that. That was Paul... Uh, Paul was in Philippi when that whole episode that he talked about happened. So about 48 or 49 um, A.D., Paul was in Jerusalem for what we have termed the Jerusalem Council. There was an issue among this new church, I suppose, about 15 years, give or take, since um, Jesus was crucified, there was an issue of the new believers and would they be required to be circumcised and this got to be a big deal so they all got together and decided they were going to try to work out how this was going to happen. After a long council meeting they decided that they were not going to require that and they sent a letter with Paul and Barnabas and they, they took off and if you look in the map in the back of your Bible this is the Paul's second missionary journey about this time, he takes off and heads for Antioch. I want to get to the point of why he wrote the book of Philippians, but anyway. Um, he went to Antioch, read the letters, and there was such a disagreement after that. He stayed there for a while with Barnabas. There was such a disagreement between him and Barnabas that they decided to split up. Paul takes off into Asia, which is modern-day Turkey today, I believe, traveling. Barnabas sets sail for an island. I don't remember the name. They split up because of a disagreement they had, pretty sharp disagreement. Um, so after traveling a while, this is all in about Acts chapter 15, chapter 16. Paul thinks that he needs to preach in Asia, but it says that the Spirit expressly forbid him to do that. So he thought he would go to another area, which was north of Asia, Bithynia, if I'm saying that right. And one night, he has a vision this is what we call the Macedonian call. And a man in the vision says, come and help us in Macedonia, which is the area of modern-day Greece, and one of the chief cities of the area of Macedonia was Philippi. So immediately, Paul and all the peoples with say, that's where we need to go, that's where we need to go preach. And uh, I, I noticed that Paul takes the direction of the Lord Jesus when he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. He takes it seriously because he went to the area of Macedonia and landed in a port city, and he went to one of the major cities uh, or one of the chief cities of the region, which was Philippi. Didn't go to a small one, didn't go to an easy one. He went to one of the big ones, it looked like to me, because of a dream that he had. He had to sail across the Aegean Sea for this to happen, so it was no small journey, and it wasn't a small journey he was on anyways. So he comes to this city, and normally when you read the, the books of Paul, or, or you read the Acts of Paul in here, he will go to the city and go to the synagogue. But it doesn't say that he did that here, so possibly there was even no synagogue. There were no Jewish people there. Not sure if there was any believers in this city. So they go out of the city on the Sabbath day by a river to pray. They meet a lady named Lydia. You can read all about her. Maybe heard her name. 
and she becomes converted and is baptized. Uh, then they come back into town and this sometime or another when they decided to pray, possibly on a Sabbath, this episode Ryan talked about happens. He casts a demon out of a girl and he's thrown into prison. And, and he, he discussed that well. We don't need to go back over it. But he leaves town. It looks like to me when he left town, he had planted a church. And so you move forward then 10 to 12 years. There's another missionary journey. Paul continues to take that great commission seriously, spreading the word of God, planting churches a lot of places. Paul finds himself incarcerated in Rome because of some of the things he's done about A.D. 60, A.D. 62 somewhere. So 10 to 12 years later, he's incarcerated. This church at Philippi hears about the incarceration of Paul. So they send a man by the name of Epaphroditus with some gifts, I think, to help Paul and to take these gifts to him. And when he gets there and helps Paul, he tells him all about what's going on in Philippi. And Paul is rejoicing because of what he hears 10 years later about how these Christians have been worshiping, praising God, been running their church in Philippi. And so this brings us to the book of Philippians. He decides that he is going to write them a letter back and talk to them about that. I notice with letters of Paul that he is not afraid at all when he's writing a letter to a church that he has planted to correct problems that he hears about. If you have read the Galatians, he's barely into chapter 2, maybe late chapter 1. He says, oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? So he comes right at them and tells them what he thinks about what they're doing. I think in Corinthians, in the, first, in the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul spends seven chapters talking about correcting the behaviors that he's heard about. And then finally, at the beginning of chapter 8, he says, Now, the things you wrote to me about, let's talk about those. So they had asked him for advice, and he wrote quite a letter before he got around to talking about that. And then even in his advice to him on their things, he's like, I hear there's divisions among you, and I partly believe it. But the Philippians, the book to the Philippians, Paul talks about his, well, in the... In the First or second verse here. I want to start reading in verse 27. I'm kind of summarizing some of this. So, the letter is to the saints. This letter of the Philippians is to the saints, the bishops, and deacons at Philippi. Um, he doesn't, I don't find where he corrects any behaviors that he's heard of from this man Epaphroditus that came to help him, who coincidentally got sick, nearly died. God healed him and sent him, uh, Paul tells in this letter, Paul's probably sending this letter with this man back to the Philippians. Um, Paul talks about his joy in the gospel and in his sufferings, which he's had a lot if you follow any of his life. He's been beaten and tossed into jail. One time he was, they thought he was dead. And some, by some miracle he came back alive. Lots of episodes with Paul having some pretty serious struggles. But out of all this, a church was born. And Paul, like a, a parent, I suppose, feels a lot of joy to hear about them and their faith. And he goes on to 
to tell him that um, whether he lives or whether he dies, it's up to the Lord. So anyway, uh, find verse 27. I, I would like to read that, and I, am, I do this a lot. I am taking this very personal. The church uh, that we are a part of here in America, the congregation that we have here at Cornerstone, our government doesn't persecute us. If I can just be really general, we got it pretty easy where we live here in America. A couple weekends ago, Cephas talked to us about the church in Haiti, and they don't have it near as easy. There's gangs and things down there. There really is spiritual persecution there. Um, so when Paul starts to give this advice, I'm taking it personally because it feels like we got a pretty good church here. And there is apparently, or there definitely is an issue that we need to be aware of, that we need to pay attention to, that can happen to us when things are just going good. So let's take off here in verse 27. Maybe we'll read some of these and talk about them. Philippians 1 verse 27, Paul is instructing the church at Philippi. We're going to take this personally. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. Having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. So we've well talked about the conflict of Paul. We, we kind of have that established as to where he's at. I, I'm thinking about the mind of God and how he orchestrated this entire series of events to establish a church. And then he worked through Paul, brought him to Rome, and Paul wrote this letter, and now we have this instruction today. It's just amazing how, how this can all work out. Um, but the direction he gives us here, on the surface, can be a little puzzling. He says to verse 27, stand fast in one spirit. The Holy Spirit of God is inside us, and we get direction from that. I, the context here, I take this as when Paul says to stand fast in one spirit, yes, the Holy Spirit, but I take that the Spirit to be the attitude that we should have, writing to a church, the attitude we should have. We can all have a good attitude but with one mind, what does that mean? Is that possible? I stand here looking at a congregation of people, and I would say it is about evenly divided between men and women. Do men and women think alike? Is it possible to have one mind? Some of you are smiling at me. That's a dilemma that we face. Um, there's a lot of men here. We have a lot of different occupations, several farmers, 
talked about farming earlier. We have some contractors, um, medical workers. Do even the men all think alike? Is that possible? Why do we do that? Well, let, let's keep going. I, maybe we'll work on that one. Because, like I said, on the surface, that's um, a little bit puzzling that we can be of one mind. But the reason we do that is to strive together for the faith of the gospel. That is important. The gospel, as a church, the gospel of Jesus Christ that we proclaim is that you can be saved from your sins and you can be delivered from the power of sin. And if we as a group of people bicker and fight amongst ourselves, are we sinning? And what then is the power of the message that we send? We say that we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ in deliverance from sin. Are we delivered or do we keep sinning? Nothing terrified by your adversaries. So while we are doing this, while we are preaching this gospel, uh, whether we're called to go to Haiti and there could be gangs and you could get beaten, thrown in jail, not know where this is going, the, we're not supposed to be terrified by that. Our adversary, the devil, will see that if we aren't scared of him, he will see that as his own perdition or destruction and sin. And it, if, if we don't feel the terror of that, we will see it as a token of our salvation that came from God. Because it is given, it is a gift. It is given to us to believe in Jesus Christ, we do, and to suffer for his sake. Uh, Rod talked about hope this morning in the Sunday school, and uh, he's been through some medical things, and he's had a lot of hope and had shifting targets. And uh, I, I talk about we have it easy here in, in our church in America but when we have these health issues, we are, it is given to us. It is a gift that we can suffer. Did that change you, Rod? Do you, that, that suffering? Has anybody ever had any major growth in their life without suffering? Think about that for a little bit. It seems like, like this church that was built, Paul had to get beaten and thrown in jail to build a church. Somebody a long time ago, we have a good church, we have it easy. Somebody a long time ago had a rough time getting this thing started. Here we are today reaping the benefits. And we have this, like I set up a little bit ago, impossible situation. We just have to think alike. We just have to have one mind. And we're trying to decide if that's possible or not. Well, it was written, it was inspired by God, so it must be possible to have a church of quite a diverse group of people and to think alike. So let's try it out. Let's try it. Let's see if we can think alike. I'm going to say one word and everybody think. Elephant. Everybody thought of the big gray animal, floppy ears, long nose, right? 
I'm seeing some agreement, so maybe it is possible. Well, let's take the training wheels off here, and um, I'm going to say a series of words and see what you think of this. Red tractors are the best. I don't think we're all in agreement on that one. This, this is not going to work out very good. What, what does it mean to be of one mind? We're going to have to have a meeting about tractors next week. We've got to get this lined up. It says so here. The same conflict. Well, we have conflict. Um, we're not in jail like Paul did, but we do have conflict. Let's, let's go into chapter 2. Paul is actually going to give us the solution. You're familiar with this. You know what's coming here. But it feels like it's really important to focus on foundational things at this time. Um, chapter 2. If there be therefore, Paul uses a technique here that he is similar to other techniques he used. In 1 Corinthians 10, he asks us the question about um, communion, the, the bread, is it not the body of the Lord, he says. And the obvious answer is yes, it is. In that context, it's symbolic, talking about the body of the Lord. Here, it's similar. If there be, therefore, yes, there is. All of these things. So we could say because there is consolation in Christ... Because in Christ there is comfort of love and fellowship of the Spirit and bowels and mercies, that's a tough phrase for me. I had to study that one a little bit to understand what bowels and mercies mean. And it's like an intense feeling that comes from the inside um, of pity and love and, and mercy. I as I thought about it, it's like what you feel when you see a little baby. And you just almost have to reach out and touch them and hold them. And they need taken care of. And you just feel this. It just comes out of you. It's natural. You feel this love. So if there's that type of love, Paul says, fulfill my joy. Then here he goes again, that you be like-minded. Having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. So then I think here in verse 3 is where he goes on to tell us how to be of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. That would be our normal way of fleshly doing things, is say, well, what do I need? How am I going to get it? And if we do it through strife or vainglory, we put someone else down to, to, to show our, ourselves to be better. But he says, don't let anything be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Is anybody good at doing that? I'm not. When you think of others, when you see others doing what they do, going about their work, being parents, being grandparents, is it easy to think about them as better than me? It's, it's really not. A way to do this is to realize that the person I know the best is me. I know all of the secret sins, I'll say, inside of my heart, and I don't know yours. 
So I know a whole lot of things about me that are not good, that I've been delivered from. God is faithful, and he does that. But I know a whole lot less about yours. You are definitely better than me. That's a good place to start anyways. Verse 4, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. That one's not easy either. I would differentiate here. I think that we are, I'm certain we aren't talking about principles, but we're talking about preferences. So in our church that's going really good, we need to be preferential of others before we prefer ourselves. And then here's the answer to our dilemma of how we be all of, of one mind. Verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. We need to think like Jesus Christ. We need to think like God. So that was tough, getting the men and women to think alike. Do you think that you can think about the things God thinks about? I think this could be a little dangerous for us. If we think that we can go and control situations like God did in bringing this church at Philippi into being, bringing this letter forward for us to, uh, to, to learn from, we can't control that. That's God's business. But we can have this mind. We can think like God thinks if it is in the way that Jesus thought. Verse 6, who being in the form of God, so Jesus was God, he existed as God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Fascinating statement. But made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore? God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus Christ existed as God, and he did not think that it was robbery. He was not taking away from the essence of God nor was he trying to, through strife or vainglory, show um, dominance or, or try to put himself above. He was not trying to get ahead. He was not going to illegally take away. He was not going to rob God by humbling himself, by not getting rid of his godness, if that's a word, um, but by making himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a servant, found the likeness of a man, he was a man at that time. He was so much a man, and and he laid all of his privileges of being God aside that even today there are still people that believe that he was not God, that he was just a man. That's how much of a man he was. Yet he had all of the rights and privileges of God who is great, who is great in power, and who has infinite understanding. And what all of this did, all of this humility did was actually, verse 9, highly exalted him. 
So it wasn't like through strife or vain glory, which is our natural tendency in our flesh to do, that he would climb the ladder of success and put someone else down. He went down, became obedient to death, conquered sin in his death for us. That did not take away from God. That did not rob from God. It exalted him highly. He gets a name that's above every name. So for us, that's the mind that we need to have. We need to think of others better than ourselves. Do nothing through strife or vain glory. And think about others' interests before our own. We need to be united. We need to have one mind. And it is very possible. It's Jesus Christ. Why do that? I, back to the robbery thing, I kind of forgot about this. The way, the way us humans do it in trying to exalt ourselves is to put someone else down. So back in 2006, the internet is getting ramped up. It's really getting rolling. There was a, a company that provided software that would protect your identity with all of the business you would do on the internet. This has been a while. It's been before the iPhone, so everybody was doing all their banking and everything on the computer. And this company said that we will protect all of your personal information you need our product is superior. You need to get our product. And to show that, the CEO of the company posted on billboards and online his social security number to show that, that this company, this protection that we provide for you is so superior to everything else that you can even publish your social security number and you'll have no problems. Within two years, his identity had been stolen 13 times. So... He was trying to show himself superior and say, look, I'm better than everybody else. And they did the same thing, and they tore him down and said that we are superior to you because, look, I can go sign up for a credit card with your protected information. When then we follow this, this direction here in Philippians where we um, esteem others better than, them, better than ourselves, we don't need to put anybody down. We don't need to put ourselves down. We are on the level and we just think about others better than us. So the ways of God instead of the ways of the flesh become better because we are building each other up. So the purpose then, when we come down to the end of, of the reading we did here, the ultimate purpose for us as a church, because like Paul said in Romans, we are heirs with Christ, we are joint heirs, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be glorified together, the ultimate purpose in verse 11 is to the glory of God the Father. As a church, as a congregation, being of one mind, thinking like Jesus thought, is the best glory we can have for God, and it doesn't in any way take away from the witness that we want to promote for the gospel, the good news that you can be saved from your sins. It doesn't take away from that at all. There is no robbery in thinking of others first.
when God came up with all of this, when he instigated his plans, his understanding was definitely, definitely infinite. I think let's go to prayer now, and then after prayer we'll have a song uh, before announcements. So let's bow in prayer.